0: and American generals choose their own, ensuring diversity of thought never interferes with American warmongering. How can we stand by and do nothing while our military kills and destroys lives the world over, while telling Americans that all this death and destruction protects them from terrorists, when nothing could be more false?
1: Fortress on a Hill aims to change that. You
0: good people. Welcome everyone to Fortress on a Hill a podcast about U.S. foreign policy, anti-imperialism, skepticism, and the American way of war. Uh, I'm Henry. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, With me is Kagan and Giovanni. And speaking of Giovanni, I'd like to take a moment to welcome him to the podcast as a co-host. Giovanni has a a wealth of experience uh, on uh, U.S. imperialism and the development of the anti-war community over the last 15 years or so. So I just wanted to extend that. uh, Welcome, welcome, brother, I'm glad to have you here.
2: Oh, thank you, thank you for having me here. Glad to be here, excited to be part of the team.
0: So we're we're here today to just talk about Ukraine and do kind of an update from our our last episode where we we discussed it. Um, We're gonna get into some of the recent movements of uh, military aid uh, being given to Ukraine, both uh, US originating and from uh, different countries in Eastern and Central Europe. Um, and we're also gonna talk about some of those straight states getting more directly involved, like uh, Poland. Um, we're gonna talk about the distinct lack of diplomacy that has been going on. And we're also gonna talk about uh, some observations we've had about the, uh, the anti-war movement at this point. So um but first let's uh let's talk about the uh recent aid to Ukraine. So we know that western governments have been pouring as many weapons into Ukraine as they can, uh Stinger missiles, Javelin missiles. Um, there are um countries that are providing tanks directly to Ukraine. Poland is one of them where uh, they're contributing I want to say it's like uh 240 T-72 tanks, you know, old Soviet tanks, and that the United States is going to reimburse them essentially with brand new uh, Abrams tanks. Um, it's also going to that the, the British are planning to send some, That um, and this is also alongside the, um, the fact that Finland and Sweden are making very serious moves now to become part of NATO. Um, so this is all stuff we really need to be um keeping an eye out for um Giovanni, why don't you jump in here man
2: yeah, so uh just like you said about you know uh being outfitted with um uh, replace it's interesting you say that because a lot of these uh this new um uh nato countries right that were part of the ex soviet union right they're not their their military is still has a lot of the uh, old Soviet hardware, right? Um, and one of the things about being being in, in NATO is is what they call like intercompat inter intercompatibility. Whereas the you know NATO NATO equipment has you know there's NATO standard equipment. You know like the M16 is a is a is a, is a NATO standard equipment. The Abram, NATO in a NATO standard equipment, right? So all these NATO countries right, they're supposed to have they're supposed to have in intercomparability with each other, right? So that means that if there is a conflict, you know, um, X country can send X amount of soldiers to this country, you know, can contribute to this amount of soldiers, X country can contribute this amount of soldiers, X country can contribute this amount of soldiers and they can bring this whole coalition and, and do this military uh, action or whatever military action that task that they're tasked to do it, All right. right? So, but the, the equipment should be intercomparable, intercompa- right? They should be able to use, you know, each equipment. That's one of the things that a lot of these, um, um, these countries uh, don't have. Um, Ukraine, for example, has a lot of old Soviet Union um, equipment. And, and Ukraine also has native equipment because they also, they also uh, have a weapon industry on their own, uh, which are not compatible to, uh, to NATO NATO, NATO country weaponry, right? not compatible to the M16, and and so forth and so forth and so forth, right? So we order for that to, you know, that need that needs to be changed, right? Um, that's one of the things that people like Scott Ritter and and others are saying that a lot of the a lot of the weapons and that are being sent to Ukraine, they can't really use it because it's not compatible to whatever they have. Um, they don't have the the maintenance technicians there to help them, you know to to uh to perform maintenance on these equipments and stuff like that. Uh, they don't have the training also, right? So a lot of these, there's articles out there that uh, uh that Ukrainian soldiers are going to Poland and getting like this quick, down and dirty uh training on a on howitzer, for example, you know, how to use it. Um because they don't because it's not compatible to what their army is outfitted with, you know. Uh so yeah, so so it's interesting you say that because by Poland giving out all its own, its old Soviet um, equipment and weapons material, you know, war materials, right, to Ukraine, and they're being re-outfitted with, with American or Western weaponry, right, that's pretty, that's furthering, integrating Poland into, into Ukraine and, and that effect, you know, uh, with their military.
0: Yeah, the... Um... The, the the lack of training is a, is a huge thing you know there's there's been a lot of stuff about that the you know the united states can pour as many weapons as it wants into it but without the personnel trained personnel to be able to use them or like you said some kind of interoperability with old soviet stuff stuff that they're actually trained to use they're essentially useless there's also the factor that the weapons being delivered from the west are mostly arriving in western ukraine and that they have no real way of getting them into over into eastern ukraine closer to the donbass closer to where the fighting is actually um, happening but it all everything takes time everything takes time to do this kind of training um, and the truth and the truth is you know for as much as the western media wants to focus on this question of weapons that troops soldiers win conflicts not weapons and piles and piles of them are not going to change the calculus we also want to bring in the factor that it, exactly what kind of tracking system is being done with where these weapons are going. Is there going to be anything done that's going to prevent them from leaving Ukraine and going wherever else, wherever the the money or the fighting happens to take it at that point? Um, and the same with stuff that's coming from other, you know, Eastern Bloc, uh, former Eastern Bloc countries you know is that the the it's a huge deluge of weapons and eventually someone will get their hands on them to use them whether it is legitimately the Ukrainian military fighting uh an invasion of Russia I think that's a really big question mark especially when you look at the transportation issue
1: you know we saw how met, how many weapons disappeared in Iraq and Afghanistan or the fact that the forces themselves were just selling them because they needed money more than they needed a weapon that they didn't know how to use so i don't know it'll be interesting to see what comes of this and how um if 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 anybody is going to end up tracking them or attempting to track them you know how hard is that going to be i think that'll be really interesting to see in the future
2: yeah le- let me let me read this article for you um it's written by cnn uh, on the politics it's called what happens to weapons sent to Ukraine. The US doesn't really know, right? And this was uh, published in April 19, 2022. Uh, I'm just gonna read the the beginning of it. It says, the US has few ways to track the substantial supply of anti-tank, anti-aircraft, and other weaponry it has sent across the border into Ukraine. Sources tell CNN a blind spot that is due in large large part to the US So lack of U.S. boots on the ground in the country, and the easy probability of many of the smaller systems now pouring across the border. It's a conscious risk the Biden administration is willing to take. In the short term, the U.S. seems to transfer of hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment to be vital to Ukraine's ability to hold off Moscow's invasion. A senior defense official said Tuesday that it's is certainly the largest recipient, re- recent supply to a partner country in a conflict. But the risk, both current US officials and defense analysts say, is that in the long term, some of those weapons may wind up in the hands of other militaries and militia that the US did not intend to arm. Here's a quote from them. Uh, we have fidelity for a short time, but when it enters the fog of war, we have almost zero said one source brief uh, on U.S. intelligence. It drops into a big black hole and you have almost no sense of it at all after a short period of time. That's from the uh, CNN. So basically what they're telling you is that they're pouring so much weapons, so much weaponry here, right? They're just pouring just weapons left and right, left and right, left and right. I don't have a clue where these weapons are going, right? (laughs) You know, um, there've been reports of uh, you know, uh, uh, there's reports that as soon as they actually hit uh, Ukraine, or you know, actually enter, because they're coming in from from places like like Poland, for example, that's where they're coming in from. Uh, but as soon as they hit the country, right, a lot of them get destroyed. A lot of them get destroyed because Ukraine doesn't really uh, control their airspace. Their air, uh, um, you know, defense system is you know, it's kind of non-existent. You know, so pretty much Russia has you know air supremacy. Over Ukraine and a lot of those weapons, when they come in, they pretty much get destroyed. A lot of these depots and whatnot. Some of them get captured, and I've seen videos of L- LPR, um, like like the militias from from the Donetsk and the Lugansk, right? Capturing these caches and then they're filling their own militias, you know, uh, with these weapons. So yeah. So what do you guys think about that?
0: It's, it's another one of the nasty open secrets. I was I was just thinking while you were describing that, is that for for back here on the other end that you know defense contractors and stuff simply get to brag about how many weapons they've sent there there's no no context given to it no understanding of needing to go through training or that it could get destroyed en route it is wow we're selling this many billion dollars of weapons it doesn't matter if it's used it doesn't matter if it gets destroyed at least not in 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 their calculus of things and I would think, and I, I know this, is, this, is, this would be a, a hard hill to climb, but I would think that defense contractors should be more involved as to what happens with their weapons when they leave the factory. You know. And, and I don't know how that would happen, but I think that that would be a, a really powerful place to, to push some of that responsibility.
1: I mean, it just goes to show you that they don't care about what happens to them because the point isn't that. The point is to make money off of the sale. So once that is done, they don't give a shit because why should they? So it's, I mean, like, you're right. If they actually cared about their product, like being used, then yeah, they would probably have more people on the end user side to like, make sure that they're getting to the people that they need, but they don't care about that because it's not about that. It's about us making money off of selling weapons because it's one of the few things that we manufacture in America anymore. Is weapons. So, you know, they they look at all of these opportunities as a big chance for them to make money, and their stock prices go up, and the dividends, everything grows up, and that's all they care about.
0: And there could be a there could be a powerful connection there for some of the more um, ignorant workers at some of those in some of those uh, weapons factories and things, you know, to really find out, wow. My you know whatever is this javelin that came across my line. it has the serial number i I worked on it. I touched it with my own hands. This javelin ended up in the hands of a, a- azov battalion guys who end up killing a bunch more people than they would have without without the weapons i'm i'm going to feel a lot of responsibility and regret at that, but because of how ignorant most Americans are about those things, including veterans, including people who work in defense industries that those connections, that responsibility will probably never come to bear.
2: Yeah. One of the things about the defense industry, they're not really in the United States, you know, which is, I think is brilliant the way, the way it's set up, you know, the uh, military industrial complex is that they're not really set up in a specific area. There's not, you know, like Silicon Valley, everybody knows Silicon Valley. That's where, you know, all these high tech and social media, all these things come from. Right. But there's no like uh weapon industry Valley, you know, in the United States, they all kind of spread out throughout the whole country, you know. And then they're, you know, every state has. It's like the assembly lines. is weird because every state has some type of um, involvement in the making of of X weapons, you know. Let's say a, a let's say howitzer or or Abram tank or or Patriot missile, you know. Uh, so this country makes this component and yeah, country makes that component and and that. City makes that component, and this state makes that component, and you know, this state uh, assembles it. You know, so so you know, so it's kind of spread out, just like you said. It's like this this uh, the decompart- the compartment compartmentalism is where you know the the uh, the worker or the the person who's, who doesn't there's, there's no really is alienated from his own product, doesn't really know what it, what's the end the end going to look like. You know, they're just working on a portion of it. You know, it gets shipped off somewhere else, and and that's uh the legislators, the Congress people, right? You know, justify all that with bringing jobs to the country, you know, bringing jobs to their district. You know, that's one of the things that uh that I heard when uh, Bernie Sanders were, were uh, was was initially running. I think it was in 2016. No, it was before that one. Uh, it was initially running, and they were talking about the military industrial complex, right? But he was a Vermont senator, and 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 they were talking about what about your the factories that are uh, that are in Vermont that builds these weapons and whatnot, you know. Well, his his job, his number one job is right to bring bring jobs to his district or to his state, you know. So naturally, he's not going to vote against it, you know. So it's kind of a way that that hold people, you know, <laughs> proverbially by the balls, you know. Uh, we can't really do much about it. Well, they these legislators can't really do much about it because, you know, if they do try to move against it. You know, they can say all they want, but they do try to try to move against it. Um, and they say this X factory, uh, BCE factory, or, or, uh, was it North agreement leaves their, their district or their state and everything, they'll be blamed for losing jobs.
0: It reminds me of, in a similar way of the, the compartmentalization that, uh, troops have, that soldiers have between different missions, you know, that if you're, If you're an infantryman, you understand combat from a very specific perspective. If you're in finance, if you're in Intel, all these different places, but very seldom are you able to see enough pieces of the pie that a picture uh, comes out to you without doing a significant amount of research or or other stuff that way. Um, And they should, you know, people, we we have a, we here in the Portland area, we have a huge um, tech community, Uh, Intel's headquarters is here, they make Uh, a great number of chips that I assume end up in military hardware. Um, You know, who is willing to actually ask these questions? Uh, There was a dude uh, that did, we had a a thing at a Portland Trailblazers game a while ago, a couple years ago, and it was like a halftime fan moment with veterans, and it was sponsored by Leopold, Leopold Scopes, that makes scopes for the IDF and I'm sure many other militaries around the world, SWAT teams and police departments and stuff. And so this guy, this uh, the, the first two veterans, you know, they kind of did their obligatory yes, thank you and everything and you know, appreciate that. And then it got to him and he opened his shirt, and on the shirt it was about that Leopold supplies Israeli snipers that kill children in, in the in the Palestinian territories. And I'm 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 paraphrasing, I can't remember the exact thing that was on his shirt, but it was really powerful. But those connections are are really important, you know. I, I wouldn't wanna make a wage that I knew was killing people somehow, somewhere, especially if it was done uh, without any kind of uh, significant and rigorous oversight. Let's move on to talk a little more about the uh, neighbor states getting involved. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead, man, what you got? Yeah,
2: Henry, yeah, before, before we move on about the weapons issue, right, um, I'm curious what um, what, uh, um, what Hillary Clinton has to say about it. Um, I'm told that you have, you've spoken with her and and she's going to tell you what you know, how she feels about this weaponry pouring into Ukraine, and and what's the end goal in her
0: mind. Uh, I would be more than more than happy to share that with them. On one second.
3: But remember, uh, the Russians invaded Afghanistan uh, back uh, in 1980, and uh, although no country uh, went in, uh, they certainly had a lot of countries uh, supplying. Uh, arms and advice, and even some advisors uh, to those who were recruited to fight Russia. It didn't end well for the Russians. Uh, There were other uh, unintended consequences, as we know, but the fact is that a very motivated and then uh, funded and armed uh, insurgency uh, basically drove the Russians out of Afghanistan. Uh, Obviously, the similarities are, are not uh, ones that you should uh, bank on because uh, the terrain, the development uh, in urban areas, et cetera, is so different. But I think that is the model that people are now uh, looking toward. And if there can be sufficient um, armaments that get in, and they should be able to get in along some of uh, uh, the borders uh, between other nations and Ukraine, uh, and keep the Ukrainian, uh, both their military and their citizen uh, volunteer soldiers supplied. Uh, that can continue to stymie Russia. Now, let's be you know clear that Russia has overwhelming uh, military force, uh, but of course they did in Afghanistan as well. Mm. Uh, they also brought a lot of uh, air power to Syria. It has it took years to finally. Uh, defeat Syria, uh, in terms of the insurgencies, the democratic forces, as well as others who battled the Russians, the Syrians, and the Iranians. Um, So, if you're fighting for your homeland, you're fighting for your family, you're fighting for your ideals, that's far more powerful than sending in these poor, young Russian soldiers who didn't even know where they were going until they crossed the border and People were screaming at them, and they realized they were in Ukraine. So I I think we have to watch this carefully. We have to provide sufficient uh, military armaments for the Ukraine uh, military and volunteers. And we have to keep tightening the screws.
2: I wonder what what are those uh, unintentional consequences she was talking about?
0: Uh, there's been a lot of unintended consequences, you know, and and I I, I really love the the beginning of it where she was like a you know a ho a group of a group of countries, you know, just did this. The United States sent all those weapons to the Mujahideen. The United States, I mean, yes, there were a few other little partners, but by and large, it was the U.S. that chose to do that. And yeah, buckets and buckets of unintended consequences of the belief like uh, her her reinforcing there the the belief that these are Ukrainian citizens fighting for their homes fighting for their beliefs that they're not stuck in a quagmire between other kinds of powers and other groups of violent people it's just a very simple thing it's it's no problem we don't got to worry about it let's 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 go home guys i think we're done we're good we're good yeah yeah
1: the fact when she said overwhelming force from the russians that kind of made me upset because like 250,000 troops is not a lot when you're trying to invade a whole country. No. Like the last time they did this in World War II, they sent 11 million people to push the Nazis back. Like, so trying to say that they could take over a whole country with 250,000 troops has been proven that it's not possible. And so it's, it's you know, it's another way for them to be like, look how terrible they are, look how bad, which... Like, I'm not saying that they're not bad because they've done some terrible things, but we always have to be wary of who is saying stuff like this and why she's saying it. And it's and yeah, I mean, it's just she's so clear in the way that she thinks about it. And it's really frustrating because it's again, there's no talk for diplomacy. There's no even talk about them talking about it. So that does nothing but make this thing go on further.
2: And, and to your point, right, is uh, 200 plus uh, troops, and also adding native troops as well, because it's something that that's absent in American media is that there's also uh, Ukrainian uh, militias that are fighting alongside the Russians, right? Like the like the L P, like the LP from the Dun Dunest places, the L P R and the D P R people, uh, who have been fighting the 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 Ukrainian government for the last eight years. Uh, which is totally absent in American media. Uh, when the Russians came in, these militias are fighting alongside uh, the Russians, and they are Ukrainian. there are ethnic uh, Russians, but there are Ukrainian citizens. You know that's something absent from American media. Um, another thing, another point that you made is um, two hundred thousand troops. Uh, facing six hundred thousand Ukrainian troops, <laughs> you know. So, if so because the because they, the the Ukrainians has a, uh, you know, according to you know people like you know, you know Wilkinson, you know Scott Ritter and others, you know, the uh, Ukrainian force was uh, roughly around six hundred thousand, comp- you know, with active uh, the militias uh, who were integrated into the military um, and also reserve components and whatnot. So the when you talk about troops on the ground, the overwhelming force was the Ukrainian. You know, they had the in numbers, in numbers they were, right? Um, the Ukrainians. Uh, however, um, the organizing factor, um, the like like uh Harry, like 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 Henry mentioned earlier, is that they're not as well organized, you know, they weren't as well organized. Um, there were defections, which is another thing that the uh there's a lot of defection that the American media has has not. Talked about, particularly in the areas of you know, um, in the the areas of, of Russian ethnic Ukrainians who defected, um, particularly down in the uh, in the areas of uh, the Crimea peninsula and whatnot. Uh, that's not mentioned. You know, why is it not mentioned? Because it's pretty much because if you start going into these nuances, right, it it'll, it'll, it'll widen the holes. In the narrative that already are there, you know, because if you think about it, it's been two months, right? You think about the narrative when it first started the conflict to to how the narrative just falling apart now, you know. Um, most Americans, most, most Americans are not in into this conflict, you know. Most Americans are not, you know, they don't feel they have a dog in the fight in this conflict, you know. There are other pressing issues here, you know, that people are more worried about, you know. Um, but yeah, uh, that's that's one thing I noticed in in her her thing in her um interview you know unintentioned consequences of course we all know what that means uh but also uh when the russians when she she when the russians went into Syria uh they went they were fighting ISIS in al Qaeda and she and she um and they were fighting alongside the uh the uh, the Syrian national army um you know and but she made it sound that they were fighting Syrians you know this is how this is how the, the narrative this is how uh the manipulation and and the distortion and the misinformation you know I'm, I'm told that we have a misinformation bureau now or thing coming out now uh the distortion and disinformation it comes about you know
0: no it's it's uh yeah i think i think so far the disinformation board has just been a, a point of laughter for most people, especially people on the left, it just is like you got I mean <laughs> it, it, it's almost one of those moments where you're like how more farcical could it possibly get at this at this time. So, so let's uh let's talk a little bit about um uh the potential of neighboring states to get involved. We talked earlier about uh weapons being sent both by the West and by Eastern European countries, Central European countries um there's been and there's been some huge changes politically for some of these countries uh Germany that was a place that generally tried to act much more neutral than other members of NATO um has essentially reversed almost all of that they're sending weapons they're sending tanks they are allowing their bases to be used to train Ukrainian troops some by german trainers some by american trainers probably some other nato trainers um and, and, uh, and this is alongside one other really important factor is that uh, Finland and Sweden are very close to joining NATO um, themselves, and they hold a huge amount of border with Russia. Uh, Of course, this is going to make Russia feel more enclosed, granted, they don't have the same kind of political ties to Finland and Sweden that uh, Ukraine does in in the dealings with the Donbass, but it's certainly going to be um, very potent. And one other thing before I let you guys jump in here is that a quick reminder that there are lots (laughs) and lots of countries in the world that have flat out said no. There are lots of people that have uh, said that we're not doing sanctions. A lot of people saying that we're not going to send arms alongside the West. Um, a lot of them saying that we're, we're not going to attempt to allow you to demonize people simply to further US hegemony. Um, and so it's, it's really important that we remember that the, the Western media has it just forgets that so many countries, and not just countries that you would think would ostensibly side with Russia, places like china or venezuela maybe but lots of other ones as well uh, france has taken a, a a better line on this than, than than you would expect france to
1: um i wanted to bring up belarus <laughs> just because they've made it clear that they're like on the russian side
0: they have they,
1: um, have. Yeah. they, they they've also been talking about invading moldova from transnistria which is that little spot on this on the eastern border of ukraine that's hmm. declared itself independent like there' there's russian soldiers that are there too but like belarus has talked a lot about wanting to invade moldova which is crazy because that could escalate things further but yeah there's there's people who are it's it's like we're in the cold war all over again in some sense you know where because there's a proxy war and it's the U.S. and Russia that everything has to come down to like which side you're on instead of the people like you were saying earlier that are saying no. Like we don't want to get sucked into this stupid uh, you know, West versus East again, all over again when we have much more pressing
0: issues. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I mean, I was reading about the 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 some. Trans, uh, trans, um... Transistra, right? Um they're also they're also uh, ethnic Russians, you know, who are who are who live there who are part of Moldova, uh, Moldovia and they separated back in the early nineties, actually. They they um they uh been they declared themselves uh, their own country in the nineties. They had like a little little spat between Moldovan the Moldovan military and militias there. And they they've been like in a kind of cold war since the nineties with Moldova. Uh but what I was reading is that that, the, that the, uh, the Ukrainian military was actually, was, uh, was pushing for Moldova to take it by force. Just like they were trying to take uh, Donbass by force, they were trying to get the, the uh, Moldovan uh, government to take Transnistria by force, uh, opening a second front uh, for the Russians. Uh, however, the, uh, they, have a, they have a female president, uh, prime minister. However, they, they uh, so far declined. They so far declined, and they said that uh they were resolve their issue their internal issues diplomatically um you know um and you know politically that's what they said politically rather than by force, so that hasn't um materialized but yes you're you're correct at the time where it was proposed uh where it was pushed for the for them to take that part by force and and like you say, there is a contingent of of Russian forces there there's a base there um Um, There in in Transnistria, Transnistria, and you know when it was first proposed, when it was first talked about, uh, yes, you know they were, you know they were uh, talking about, you know, trying, you know, uh, a possibility of opening another front there, Um, and that would have the the strategy, um, and the strategy would have been to kind of divide the the focus of of the Russians, Um, and that would have cause more implication because the Moldovans, right, they're not Serbs, right, per se. Uh, They are, uh, they're not, they're not uh, Slavs. Uh, They're morally, closely, linguistically, ethnically closer to Romanians. Uh, So that would have, that possibility would have, you know, got Romania also involved in the conflict if Russia were to, or uh, Belarus were to intervene. Uh, in Moldova, right, protecting other transnistrian people. Um, so I probably would have, you know, brought in also Romania into the conflict as well. Would have kept widening out. Uh, then you have Poland. You have Poland. Poland from the beginning, uh, they were hinting of sending um, troops, um, peace, peace, peacekeeping troops. Now, West Ukraine, uh, Poland, Poland claims West Ukraine as theirs. For a long time, right? Um, that was part of uh, West Ukraine as was Easter Eastern Galicia um, at one time, which was a kingdom in the middle, you know, in the middle in, in the medieval times. Uh, who the Poland, the Poles say they descend from uh, the Kingdom of 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 uh, Galicia. So Poland is Western Galicia, and they claim that to be Eastern Galicia. Um, so they uh, they were absorbed by the Austro-Hungary Empire um and they were part of the austro hungary Empire for a while until the First World War when the austro hungary Empire were was defeated uh so that went that went part to Hungary and then in 1919 went back to Poland so Poland had it from 1990 1919 until the Germans invaded Poland in the uh in the 1930s right so the Germans invaded Poland and they occupied that area and they occupied western um, 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 Ukraine. That's where you guys heard about Stepan Bandera, you know, the Banderista. Uh, there were the Ukrainians that actually uh, collaborated with the with the Germans, etc. So when, so from there, they launched the invasion in 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 uh, in, in the Soviet Union, in 1941, and and they were there to 1944 when the when the Soviets were actually break out and it's, and they and they occupied. And it took that part of Ukraine and kept going forward until they got to Berlin. So what the Soviets did in 19 and, and 44, they incorporated uh, West Ukraine or Galicia to eastern Ukraine, and that's where they got the current borders of Ukraine today. Um so what they're talking about the uh the poles have been hinting of sending um peacekeeper troops troops there. Uh, so they've been giving more and more hints of wanting to to go into uh, um, to uh, to Ukraine. So if that happens, you know that pretty much the country pretty much the country how it looks now it's it it seems like the country is being dismembered, right? Uh, from the east side to the south side, the east south side, um, you know you have a uh, Crimea and everything. You know pretty much the the areas of ethnic Russians, right? That pretty much uh, are being pretty much controlled by Russia right now. Um, um, I heard there's a there's a, a referendum they're talking about, I think in in Carson, I think the place is called, where they want to they want to put it to a vote to to reunify with Russia. Um, so if this will happen, you know, pretty much you got Mirapol, Mirapol, the battle Mirapol, which pretty much got was, you know, was pretty much taken over by Russia. So pretty much what's happening now with Ukraine is that they're losing their coast, their, their black Black Sea coast. If that would happen, if, and if, per, if Poland were to take the west of of Ukraine, then Ukraine pretty much would be a rum state, or pretty much would not exist anymore as we as we you know as we know it. Uh, which is interesting because Zelensky, right this 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 person who's who's flying around the country, the world like like he's pan and whatnot, right? <laughs> um He's been he'll be known as pretty much the the president who lost, lost Ukraine, you know who last president of ukraine i mean so yeah so it's very interesting what's happening geopolitically
1: and ultimately all plays into russia's strategy of the balkanization of russia which is what they wanted to do like they wanted to break it up into little pieces so it's easier for them to manipulate and that also plays to the west as well even though we would you know we would like to keep them together quote unquote as far as what we're saying yeah. i mean th- it's always easier to control less people when it's not unified government.
2: Exactly. I mean, that's what happened in Yugoslavia. It was existing more yeah, like exactly. yeah. countries. Yeah.
0: Has there is been any, uh, uh, Giovanni? Do you know if there's been any um, response from the U.S. government about that Western Ukraine and Poland's claim? Has there is as anybody said anything about that in terms of in terms mm-hmm. of. The U.S.'s official position?
2: I haven't read anything about that, but um, but I'm but what I'm thinking, what I'm what I'm seeing is that the fact that there's more, you know, like for example, Russia came out and said that they will not tolerate, you know, uh, Polish troops in in Western Ukraine. They will not tolerate Ukraine um, to be absorbed by Poland, right? That's one of the things that they put out. But the fact that the there's been you know, Ukraine is a is an ally of the, of, of NATO, United States an allied country, et cetera. Uh there's there's thousands of troops there, you know, that's where they're doing a lot of the weapons and everything. But a lot of the fact that they're saying there openly like that, or there's some factions within Ukraine saying it openly. I am you know, I haven't seen Ukraine officially say it, but the factions within um, uh, it's being thrown around within the Ukrainian government, within Ukrainian you know, state um that they're uh, they're not being uh, they're not being reprimanded for, for so you know they you know they're they're I don't know if they're being encouraged or as part of a psyop or whatnot you know they're not being reprimanded for it. I mean they're saying it freely you know
0: so let's uh, um, let's move on to talk about uh, diplomacy or the the sincere lack thereof as far as coming from the uh, from the West right now. Um, I saw a really great interview on rising recently that had uh lieutenant colonel uh Danny Davis on it, and they were discussing about um whether or not that the crisis in Ukraine has already become a proxy war um I would say that that especially with the way that uh American politicians are commenting about it different people and stuff that it it definitely is, but it was seen that way from the beginning, although it's only recently that different uh, people have come out and actually said that they think it is. But, um, and so uh, talking about this lack of diplomacy, Colonel Davis said um, diplomacy is absolutely needed to ensure the US doesn't utilize the arena of proxy wars where both thousands of Ukrainians and Russians will die and it will leave the door open for open unapologetic war with Russia. So, something else that Colonel Davis talked about was about that uh the Russian way of war is that Russia doesn't ever stop negotiating that before a conflict during a conflict after a conflict, Russia will sit down at the table with people and and hash things out while the American side of things that once a war begins, we stop negotiating we stop communicating with those with are our enemies for a, a plethora of reasons, but mostly to elongate the conflict, um, and that uh, he mentioned about it was a quote from I uh, always say his name right, Clausewitz. Uh, the the
2: Klotswitz, yeah, Clausewitz.
0: Yeah. yeah, that that war equals politics through other right. means, and so that that you know for the Russian side of things and for the you know the Eastern Soviet, you know that that tradition of of not stopping. Negotiating that conflicts can end much, much quicker in that way. Whereas the U.S., and especially dealing with the situation in Ukraine, is saying we're just not doing it. We're just not talking to them. We're not talking to, uh, we're not directly talking to the Russians. We're not facilitating talks between them and Ukraine. We're not promoting other countries uh, like France, again, that are are willing to have some of these discussions. that it it really it really leaves uh leaves us in a bad spot and it also is a, is a flat out denial of of what klotzwitz said you know that war you know war is war, war is a form of communication it is it is political means put through the through the end of a bayonet um and we have to Americans have to realize that
2: i think uh, i think a lot of uh a lot of the way Americans make war, you know, America makes war is it's really tied to the political system here. It's a lot of it's it's, it's more more domestic pageantry um, because you don't want because it's it's tied because it's tied to the next election. A lot of these wars, right? That's one of the reasons the the Afghan war was so long, the Vietnam war was so long, the, the Iraq war was so long because it's always tied to the next election um uh, and you always looking to the next election you don't want to be like bush said. we don't you don't we, don't we don't cut out and run we don't cut and run right so it's a, because of this domestic factor it's very hard to once you for the u.s it's very hard to, once war starts it's hard for them to end it because like i said it's tied to the next election um you know if you remember uh, Lyndon b johnson for example Lyndon B. johnson right he escalated uh he escalated the, uh, the, the, uh, the conflict in Vietnam, for example, right? You know, with, uh, you know, with the, uh, you know, you know, sending in more troops and everything, you know, bombing and bombing and bombing, 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 you know, the whole Tonkin incident and all of that, right? And the fact that the Vietnamese didn't give in, you know, um, he resigned. I mean, he didn't, he didn't run for the next election. He resigned, you know. Um, you know, it took Nixon to pretty much end, the war in Vietnam, uh, and that's the thing, you know. You know, I remember when Bush went to war, when Bush, you know, did the war in Iraq in back in 2003, when he was coming up, you know. By the time he was coming up for election, it was going badly already. It's going badly for him, right? And one of the things about his campaign was, you know, you don't you don't change. the way he phrased it, you know, you don't change horse, and, you know, mid race or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you
1: midstream know?
2: Make yeah. yeah, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's one of the phrases, you know. So, so because it's tied to, because it's tied to 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 elections, it's very hard to, because the other party uses it against you, you know. Look, you're weak, just like just like what happened with with Afghanistan. You have uh, Biden, pretty much after 20 years, you know. What else can you do in Afghanistan that you haven't been able to do in 20 years, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, so. So what Biden finally called it quits, you know, uh, pulled the troops out, you know, and it's used against him by the other party. You know, he you, you didn't pull troops out correctly. You know, um, you should have stayed there longer. Blah blah blah. We didn't complete the mission. But after twenty years, what mission are you going to complete? You know, so so mm-hmm. uh, um, so yeah. So because it's tied to elections, because because uh, it's 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 part of the next election. You know, Americans see, you know, um, don't, re- don't really have a lot of a dog in a fight in this, in this conflict, but they want to own the opposition. I want to own the Dems. I want to own the Republicans, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, in that mindset, that's why these conflicts, you know, continue to to go so far. Whereas, you know, like you said, in Russia, right, you know, using the Kassavith, uh strategy. Also, the, they use the Germany, the Germany strategy, which is another uh, tactician, a German tactician, I believe. Uh, where they always leave uh, an exit, an exit strategy for the enemy. You know, like the way they they came in in Syria, the way they came in in Ukraine. They always they always open corridors, and uh, the strategy of opening corridors, you know, always leaving this exit strategy for the for the enemy to leave. You know, uh, to save face and leave. Is to avoid to avoid further furthering the uh, you know the massacre, or the conflicts, or whatnot, this and that, right? And and to actually de-escalate because when you leave an open door for your like for example in Syria what they were doing in Syria they were corralling uh, the ISIS fighters, they were corralling the Al Qaeda fighters, right? But they always left the door open for them to leave. And what they were doing there, what they were doing, they had buses there and they were actually bussing them. The, the the fighters who gave up you know who dropped the weapons and gave up you know they were busting them and their family to another part of of Syria Iblid right which is right now is being controlled by uh, by Turkey you know so what they were doing is right by opening this door for the enemy to uh, to surrender right you know and, and to save face and leave and whatnot this and that right they they they're deescalating they're de-escalating because you give the enemy the uh, the option of you know I'm gonna die you know I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go out in a hell of fire or I'm going to surrender, or I'm going to desert. You know, um, all three options are given to the enemy. You know, and and all three options, right, work. You know, you know, towards deescalating the situation. But where you have this zero sum mentality, as you know, either complete victory or nothing. You know, what it is, what you're doing is, you know, you just prolonging the 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 the, uh, the slaughter, prolonging the 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 uh, you know the, uh, the conflict. And so far, you don't get nothing done you know um uh, or you just you just or you just do prolongs the suffering i remember when i when i was in when i used to work in the the at windsick the school of the americas right we used to have a lot of um um we used to have a lot of uh, uh guest instructors from latin america and whatnot right and they were embedded with us and they were part of our team and you know this and that so i was talking so i had a colombian special forces guy and he was telling me that one of the characteristics, one of the characteristics of the American military is you know that they give so much high priority to uh, uh, force protection you know force protection right so in order to avoid this, there's this avoidance of American casualties right in all these wars right for example, if you see how the Russians enter Ukraine or you know they didn't go in guns blazing and just just just, just obliterating uh on Kiev like you know like shock and, and Baghdad or or the bombing of, of, of Belgrade and in, 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 in Serbia, you know, they didn't just bomb, you know, bomb, bomb, bomb. They went in with troops from the get go. They went in with troops from the get go and, and they suffered a lot of casualties coming in. But by doing that, right, they spared a lot of civilian lives too, you know, because they didn't go and bomb the major cities, you know, like, like, like I said, like in Baghdad and so forth, right? Whereas Americans, they were go in bombing major cities, just carpet bombing, carpet bombing, carpet bombing, carpet bombing, right, to avoid American casualties. You know that's the difference in, in war making. That, that's what the Colombian special forces guy was telling me is that American soldiers, American the American way of fighting is they put so much, puts so much uh, emphasis on force protection, that they're they're they you know to avoid casualties you know uh, in their conflict. And I think that's part of the Vietnam syndrome, you know. To be honest, you know where you know where uh, where there you know so much casualty you know occurred in Vietnam where the American public, you know, kind of develop this resistance to the next conflict, you know, so as long as there, you know, so when you start seeing American conflicts, then you start getting resistance from the American public, but as long as there are very little none american conflict, then you know, this kind of out of sight, out of mind. You know, I think that's the strategy behind it.
0: Yeah, the um, it's it, it, to me, it's it's a point of cowardice that the you know Bush when he when he came in and stopped uh, stopped letting coffins be shown on CNN or MSNBC or what have you coming in. That you know that the the our our addiction to war has already been set back so many ways. You know into the into the into the periphery of Americans' vision, and by doing that, that you know can't even acknowledge that there are Americans dying somewhere for some reason. They have, may may have no concept of what the conflict is. But even Bush said we're gonna we're going to take that away. But it goes it also can go back to that there was a very strong response from both um the DOD and um American media following the Vietnam War to change the way that they covered wars. You know, that like Walter Cronkite had that thing for I don't know how many years he did it, but every every night when he closed his show, it was in the sixties and seventies that, that This is how many people, how many troops have died in Vietnam. And so that the ordinary person watching the news tonight, even if he didn't do a story on Vietnam, reminded him that there are Americans somewhere dying and we have some vested interest in this. But we have we've we've so moved away from that. And and Giovanni, what you're mentioning about force protection is that it also reminds me of the pedestal that America places soldiers on. That we're, we we you know we we at at some point some of the myths for American soldiers have to be true, and when a soldier dies, I, I won't say like you know that the families get a lot or anything, but that our culture responds very very strongly to that. We don't respond nearly as strongly for the people we killed. We don't respond respond hmm. for the uh, other militaries. You know that Colombian special forces guy you mentioned working alongside them. If something happened to him in the course of American military training, we wouldn't we wouldn't have a second thought. But soldiers, oh man, they're the they're the golden ticket. They're the thing that we have to hang on to. Um, and it's it's just it can just get attributed back to propaganda and PR.
1: We get asked often what people can do to help support the podcast. One very powerful way is to help us grow and reach more people is to leave us a review. You can do that on iTunes, which is the best place to leave a review. iTunes does reach the most people these days. The next best place is Facebook. Go to our Fortressana Health Facebook page and look for the Reviews tab. And finally, there's Patreon, where we're blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping us for some of the podcast's expenses. Those who contribute $10 or more a month will be mentioned here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help us keep going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing all the new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I'm sure I can't think of at the moment. So let's bring out these honorary producers, and they are Fahim Shirazi, James Obar. Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Tristan Oliver, Daniel Fleming, Michael Caron, Zach H, Ren Jacob, Howard Reynolds. Why I Am Anti War Podcast, Korgoth, Rick Coffee, and the Status Quo Podcast. You are all the engine that helps us power the podcast. Thank you so much. However, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me slash fortressonahill. Or please check out our store on Spreadshirt for some great Fortress merch. There's t-shirts, mugs, phone cases, and a whole lot more. And now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, it's definitely the story like like you say like when when american soldiers die there is a story behind it like who was this person mm-hmm. how did they live their life you know all this stuff but the other people are just numbers mm-hmm. like th- we don't go into the in-depth story of some random kid who's getting blown up in syria or in syria or yemen right now you know nobody talks about that it's just a, it's a statistic to them to everyone because we don't want to actually turn the lens on ourselves and think about the way that we're doing war because the media companies are owned by the same people that own the defense contracting companies and they they have so much to lose if they started to be, you know, adversarial that they would rather just get along. It's why, you know, so many media organizations don't push presidents or the press secretary to ask adversarial questions because they want that access like that access matters more to them than telling the truth and that's the sick system that we live in where the media and our government are in like lockstep because they want the access to the people and it's just it makes me so frustrated that there isn't like that's why the left is gone like that's why there's no anti-war sentiment in America as much because we're not telling those stories
0: and it's, it's the thing that makes, uh, that makes po- proxy wars doubly dangerous for the United States because that one thing that people might have been paying attention to to see soldiers coming home in coffins is, is, is not really a factor anymore you know a proxy war is going to entirely involve forces that we if, if we're giving them anything we're giving them weapons and money but well, we're not giving them American lives. And so where that would come out and spill out, where people would get to see it, it's, it's gone. It's not even a possibility anymore.
2: Yeah, so on, on that, I remember when the, uh, the war against uh, Yugoslavia, for example, um, claimed in, that was the, uh, the whole concept of air war, you know, air war, air power and air war. And, you know, uh, Serbia fell and they lost, um, you know, Yugoslavia fell. Uh, Serbia fell. They lost uh, Kosovo, which Kosovo was a province of of, of Serbia. Um, and I remember, the Clinton administration talking about, you know, we won this, we had this victory, just on air power alone, you know, without losing a, a, an American soldier, you know, American troop, you know, just air power alone, we got this great victory, you know. But that's not that wasn't true. That wasn't true because there were, were boots on the ground, right? But the boots on the ground, they were from the, uh, uh, the KLA, which is the Kosovo Liberation Army. So they, so they were the ones that were doing the fighting on the ground, you know. And the interesting about the, the, uh, the KLA is that the KLA, KLA before the, the war in, against Serbia, they were designated a terrorist organization, right? You know, by the United States. And then when the war started, they were removed from the terrorist list. You know and then they were giving support now you know uh they were giving weapons and support you know and even al Qaeda uh was said to be there as well on the ground as well you know fighting the Serbians but you know we just provided the, the 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 air power you know so someone's gonna die someone's gonna die right like you said it was a proxy war right you know the 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 troops that died in that conflict were KLA fighters and Serbian fighters <laughs> you know um, but you can't say, like, like Clinton said, you know, we won, you know, this war was a victory because there was no casualties. That's not true, <laughs> you
0: know. It's just like when people want to say that, that this situation in Ukraine is the first time that war has come to Europe since World War II. And we know that this isn't true. We know, we know that there's all kinds of conflicts still going on. Um, you know, certainly what's happening in Syria, what's happening in Ukraine. Um, but they count on our apathy. They count on us not wanting to worry about Yemeni deaths in their air war there, not worry about uh, Iraqi civilian deaths in the war against uh, ISIS, um, just, to, just to let them all fall into, the, fall into the background. Or if they do grab onto something, it's something incredibly specific and usually misconstrued, like what happened in Bukha, that yes, it's clear that some people got hurt, but talking about it like it's genocide like it, like anything that has happened in this war thus far is risen to the level of even using the word genocide and yet that's the connection that they want people to make they want them to to grab onto you know the right victims the right the right and uh support the right people but yeah with no troops in there there's no meat in the, there's no meat in the game and and we really have to americans really have to ask hard questions about that
2: so so Henry, so um so what's what's the deal with the um with the whole um, weapon, you know, going back to weapons, you know, the aid package, the military aid package going to Ukraine. What what do you guys know about that? I mean just it just happened recently right now, right? Call for thirty-three billion dollars, right?
0: He did, he did, and they <laughs> and they jumped him. They're like, sorry, Mr. President, it's gotta be forty. You know, we have to do at, at least a billion dollars over. Seven? Let's do it. Sounds great, yeah. Um, and what's crazy is this
2: conflict has only been, you know, uh, so this, there's this uh well, you know, Glenwell, you know Glenwell article, right? He says, you know, uh, Glenn, go, Greenwell, uh Biden wanted $33 billion for Ukraine. Congress quickly raised it to $40, 40 billion. Who benefits, right? And then he breaks it down here from, you know, from month to month. So he says, um, February 26, Biden approved 35, 350 million in military aid for Ukraine. Um, In March 6, Biden announced 8 million in military aid for Ukraine. March 30, Ukraine to receive additional 500 million in aid from U.S. You know, Biden announces April 12, U.S. to announce 750 million more in weapons for Ukraine. Uh, May 6. Biden announced this new 150 million weapons package for Ukraine, which, you know, all this, you know, amounts to uh, about 3 billion (laughs) in weapons. And about, you know, in like the first month or so of the conflict, you know, we're into two months now, um, you know, with this, you know, there's, you know, they're up to, you know, 40 more billion, you know. Um, So they're like up to like 53 billion, aren't they?
0: something like that yeah mm-hmm. about two months altogether
2: and and you know that the, the russian the russian uh budget the russian military budget it's about it's less than 70 billion dollars a year you know less than 70 billion however the uh, in two months you know the ukraine who have been given 50 billion you know in two months you know lots to chew on there
0: yeah, even in in military to military comparison, it's it's just it, it's just insane. I, I I, um, and of course you know we we often talk hear about you know that that money could go, to much much better things, um, you know that help with, the, uh, college debt relief and Medicare for all and things that could actually end up helping Americans. But part of this, we
1: could end homelessness with two billion dollars. Yeah, but we'd yeah. rather get money to defense contractors. Two billion, that's it. That's <laughs> it. Like to end homelessness in America, and we can't even do that.
2: So, so do we ever? So, what happened to the Build Back Better? Did they ever did they ever get approved?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it died. They died because Mansion and Cinema didn't want to do it, and they are all about like breaking it up and making it smaller different legislation things but it's you know he's he's getting so much they both are getting so much money for um for stopping for being this obstruction block in the middle of it they are getting so much money from republican groups to do this and they just don't care because they're getting paid
2: yeah in two days you can get 50 billion dollars approved or 40 billion dollars approved in two days (laughs) <laughs> bipartisan
1: <laughs> Right Meanwhile gas is like Six dollars a gallon in some places And
0: people are struggling day, With we're, food we're, costs We're getting to the point now where we're at George W. Bush administration levels Of gas prices again And it's probably actually yeah. going to lap that It's actually going to go past it And it, Nobody cares it's not, a, it's not an issue It's not a, it's not a question for anybody all right. Um close us out today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the state of the American anti-war community. Um the a couple of things to mention first, um of course this this follows the huge purging of independent outlets that have happened since the situation in Ukraine began, uh the shutdown of RT America and a whole host of American journalists on there. Um I have a quote here from Chris Hedges on uh, uh, about whether or not anyone would b- actually believe that they were disseminating Russian propaganda. And he said, they know it's not Russian propaganda. We rarely mention Russia or Putin. And the f- few times we did it, it was not in flattering terms. It's much more pernicious than that. Um, RT gave a platform to critics such as myself. It was a show that gave a voice to critics of the United States ruling class and the US empire. They knew I was not disseminating Russian propaganda unless critiquing the ills of American society serves Russia's interest, Uh, I guess to an extent that it might. Um, That's of course why RT gave me a show, but in a functioning democracy with a free press, that is the precise role of the press. Um, And then much more recently, we have um, a few independent outlets like Consortium News and Mint Press News being banned. From utilizing PayPal for their payments to having huge uh, accounts of their contributors, that uh, people that contribute to those those outlets having it being frozen and not certain exactly when they will get it back. Um, they're not given any reason for the eviction beyond a, a vague violation of PayPal's rules. Um, I know Giovanni. I know you 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 messaged us about that, and of course it is entirely possible that this could affect uh fortress on a hill in, in some way. I hope that it doesn't, but if it does, I won't be surprised. Um because we we are certainly not about the uh the mainstream talking points here. Um what do you guys think? Please uh please jump in here
1: I think it just makes me sad that like there is no room for anything other than supporting the Ukrainian military and Uh, I was listening to Deconstructed a while back where Ryan Grimm was on there and he was talking about how like being in the press corps and he was the only person who asked a question about diplomacy. Everyone else was talking about MIGS or talking about, you know, when are we going to send them money or when are we going to send them weapons? Like this was the beginning stages. And like he was literally the only person who had any question that dealt with diplomacy at all. And the response was equally bad because they basically just said, oh, um, we're doing a whole bunch of humanitarian efforts who, along with these aid packages to like th- it's, it's like saying that sending weapons and doing all this stuff is somehow diplomacy. And it just made me so it makes me sad that like there's like no room in the mainstream media for anyone to even ask like serious questions. Of the administration.
2: I mean, you talked about it earlier, Henry, about um, about the uh, uh, you know during the Vietnam War, the narratives, how how media behaved then, and how media behaves now. And that's one of the things that happened in the Vietnam War is Vietnam War was the first televised war for you know where Americans actually were able to see uh, in real time what was happening on the ground, and that horrified a lot of people, and that pretty much uh moved the 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 mood, changed the mood of the American public uh, and turned it against the war. And, and that's why you have so you know so much of resistance uh to the war in Vietnam and you know the the anti-war movement grew so you know so large and they pretty much pushed the end you know to for the war to end and so forth, you know. Um, and that's part of the reason why because of the images that these uh media outlets were were projecting to the American people, right? After that, um, you know, the media, you know, with the the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, the one in 91, you know, um uh, the that was that was a, that was you know fast forward, that was another conflict where the media was given access, you know, before through, you know, from the Vietnam War, you know, to 91, you know, to 90, right? The you know the most of the wars that the United States were involved were shadow wars, were dirty wars, and they were really uh, troops, you know, in the front lines, you know, and whatnot, you know. But the first, for the first Gulf War, you know, with the exception of, of Grenada and and uh, Panama, but the first Gulf War was the first major war since Vietnam, you know, where they actually have, you know, armor and they actually have, you know, troops in the front line, you know, and whatnot. It lasted about a hundred, was it a hundred hours? Um, it lasted and everything, you know, you know. So they didn't, they didn't give the media time to to critique it. You know, at first they were cheerleading and everything, but since the Vietnam War to today, the media has tamed, has tamed, and they pretty much resorted to just propagating uh, the talking points, the, the, the the state departments, the pentagons, whichever general's talking points and not, not resist, you know, not, not, you know, not uh, say anything different. And there's people that have been fired for. Just like you were saying, Kagan, you know, about the person asking about diplomacy, there have been incidents. incidents like, for example, in two thousand two, two thousand three, there have been journalists have been fired. Like Chris Hedges was one of them; he was fired from the you New know, because he had a different narrative of the war in, in Iraq. Um, Phil Donahue was another uh, journalist that lost his show because he was resisting um, the, the the war narrative, you know, against you know, uh, against Iraq and everything. But with now with the with the mainstream with the uh what do you call the alternative media like fortress on the hill and everything uh coming out um in part because of the war in iraq you know in part because of that as we have this alternative media you know we have this this um this ecosystem now of alternative media you see a lot of people are turning against you know turning away from legacy media, particularly younger people, and they get most of their media from from, from a media, mainstream media, not uh social media, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That media is not easily controlled as as the legacy media is, you know. Uh, that media is not easily, you know, the narrative is is not controlled like legacy media. So now because it's not controlled, now they're resorting to what you know what's happening now, you know, pretty much. Uh, deplatforming people, demonetizing people, closing their their pay, PayPal accounts, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, et cetera, to silence that alternative narrative. If you look at other alternative media, like, you know, I'm not going to say names here, but uh, you know that that pushes the the, the the talking points. If you look at likes, you know, if you look at down on YouTube or whatever, how many views they got? They get they get like thousands of views, you know. But if you get you know, other other alternative media that that has a counterpoint. To it, it might have hundreds of views, you know, one thousand views and stuff like that, you know. So now you have the algorithm, the algorithm that is playing, you know, who gets to see, who who get to be seen, you know, who gets to be seen. I guarantee you that if I shoot videos of cute kittens and dogs and everything, I probably get more views on. On YouTube than, than this episode, <laughs> you know, because of the way the algorithm works and everything and putting people up front. But it's not new. I mean, this is not new either. You know, I was going back to uh, Wilson, you know, when the uh the first world war kicked off, you know, Wilson didn't start sending troops until what's uh, 1917. You know, that's when he passed the Espionage Act and everything. You know, it was criminalized to critique the uh, the war effort. It was criminalized to talk against. Um, the troops he was criminalized to to talk against uh, you know the the war that's supposed to end all wars you know the, the the uh it was supposed to be the war you know to defend democracy what is it what was his catchphrase um, the war for democracy and whatnot um, People went to jail um, one one a famous person, Eugene Debs. you know he went to jail you know people who you know he ran you know he also he ran for president from jail. You know, he criticized the the uh, the American entering the First World War. Um, you seen people that were prominent people that got deported. You know, they got deported because they were they spoke out against the war and whatnot. So yes, it's not nothing new. It's it's, it's pretty much when when the the state is not is not able to control the narrative. You know, like like we saw in Vietnam, uh, like we see now with the moment, with monetizing the platform, like we saw back in 1917. You know, that's their react.
0: That's the. That's the reaction. The reaction is to criminalize, to criminalize the sin, and that's something that we're gonna probably gonna see change and get worse as 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 we get older. As you know, just that they, you know, it it uh. There's so many so many people, you know, that they 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 attach to so many different people through propaganda and like you know you're not your. Not standing with this country either because they're being victimized. You're not standing with your countrymen who are sending arms to Ukraine. You're you're um, you know don't have don't have in like Chris Eche's case don't have the uh, a narrative that would be welcoming to what the national security state is already doing or or wants to do in the near future. Um, You know there were people people talking with surprise about how was it that Biden knew when when the Ukraine and Russia stuff was supposed to kick off and it was because it was connected to a Ukrainian offensive, fighting and killing Russian speakers in the Donbass and that was a, a big aspect of it but we you know that if if your media did not connect you to that point there was absolutely no way that you were going to know that that was the reality that we were dealing with um and so you know Folks, as we're as we're wrapping up here and 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 just talking about this, that that you know, it's it's uh, it's going to get worse. It it may even become more pernicious, as uh, as Chris Hedges mentioned. Um, and so, please, you know, as as much as you can, as much as much as you're willing to be out in you know the Twitter space and on Facebook and stuff, talking to people that, you know, please get those opinions out there. Please share those articles, share our episodes, others episodes that are talking about this kind of stuff, all of it. Do, you know, do whatever you can to try to bring those opinions to other people. And hopefully people that are open to hearing them, because a lot of people you run into will not be, hopefully the people that are open to hearing them will sit and listen to you. And you know that it won't automatically become a that you're a Putin puppet, that you're someone that is just, you're, you have a Russia, Russia-friendly talking points or however they want to uh, to demonize that. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is, it's about, we, we have to talk to people that don't agree with us. And that is how we make headway in doing, in doing any of this stuff. So um, final thoughts, guys, anything you'd like to throw out there before we wrap up for today?
1: I mean, just something that we like to stress here, you know, be skeptical, like being skeptical first is always important when you're dealing with the forces that we have here in our country that want us to believe certain things about what America is and what it stands for. And I think that, you know, we we always just have to be critical of that, of like why people want to push us into war whenever military action is uh, undertaken like it's not something out of the blue it's a it's a concerted effort on people that want to continue to have us be the hege- the hegemonic the only you know superpower in America even though that is changing you know there's a lot of people that still believe that that's the way that it should be and I just I don't know I mean we all we have to be aware of that we have to think about it and question it and be willing to talk to people that You know, we may not agree with on everything, but if we can agree on this thing, that is what's really going to grow any kind of resistance movement against the wars is when we have people that are, you know, 70% we align with them, you know, we need them on our side, because if we're just going to be purists and ideological purists about stuff, we're never actually going to get the consensus that we need to actually have enough people to push back against this narrative, so just be aware.
2: Yeah, I'll say uh, I add that uh, to what Kagan said. Um, you know, be skeptical, but I'll add I'll caution people. You know, yes, be skeptical, but not be cynical, which is um, which is something that can happen as well. You know, when you become cynical, then you become ap- apathetic, and you know, not care. Um, you know avoid being cynical, you know, you know, you, you have, you think about this conflict, you know, um, you can, you know, you think about, you know, 50 billion dollars going to Ukraine in two months, you know, how do you want to benefit, you know, in what way do you benefit from that, uh, in what way does Ukraine benefit from that, you know, just um, helping prolong, just helping prolong the suffering, prolong uh you know, the deaths, you know, and the destruction, uh, where it's so easily this work can stop today if if people come to the table and if this this um, this government, this Zelensky government, right, it's allowed to negotiate, you know, it's one way, you know. Uh, but yeah, but think about it, you know, don't, you know, don't be cynical, you know, be critical, you know, be skeptical, but not be cynical um, because it does affect you because, you know, when you... Um, uh, when you start seeing, you know, you know, right now, uh, we we're talking about before we started about Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka is pretty much the first government that has fallen because of this conflict, you know, uh, because of the crisis that the crisis in Ukraine has rippled into Sri Lanka. So their government failed recently. Um, we've seen companies in, um, Germany, for example, um, you know, um, Companies, you know, talking about that they're, you know, they're about to file bankruptcy because of the sanctions imposed on, on Russia and stuff like that. So yeah, so you'll think about it. It, it does affect you, you know. Don't think about it because it's thousands, thousands thousand of miles away. You know, I know that they're playing into our compassions, but we're not benefiting from this. They're not benefiting. The Ukrainian people are not benefiting from this, the Russian people are not benefiting from this, you know. Um You know, no one's benefiting from this. You know, people in Africa are not benefiting from this. You know, Um, so who's benefiting from this? You know, who this money going to go to exactly? You know, not you and me. It's going to go to other people. You know, the people that are banking on this. Um, You know, think about this. Think about that. You know, Uh, yes, you, you know, I know that one of the things about our system is to make us feel powerless. And they keep telling us to. You know, that if you're unsatisfied, just vote. And if things doesn't come the way, you know, if things still haven't worked out, vote harder, (laughs) you know, and and it still still haven't worked out vote even harder, you know, but they're not giving us just like that image that you showed us, they're not giving us an option, you know, either this or that. Uh, you know, we gotta think ways to resist, we gotta think other ways to resist, other ways to to you know, to be heard, other ways to get our demands out, you know, and, and take control of this of this state apparatus, you know. Um, you know that we call the, the um, you know, the national security state.
0: It's a really good point, brother. That that the you know cynicism can really really creep in on you, and and we have to we have to believe that there's a better way, and that you know that we're we're that we're making a difference. You know that we're getting out there, and and actually that think things. Uh, not that we all have the power to change it, but that things can change, that things can get better for people um, and and we 're not the only ones, like I mentioned earlier about the the huge number of nations in the world that have said you know we're we 're not going along with this we 're not going to add to the bloodshed by signing our names on on onto a line that says we 're okay with whatever happens there because we're not we 're not okay with it. Um, and that's regardless of who happens to have the most power at the moment, Russian, American, Ukrainian, it, 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 NATO nations, it doesn't make a difference, that everybody should get put under the the uh, the microscope of the things that we're talking about right here. Well, I uh, think that's a good place for us to wrap it up for today. Um, thank you guys both for coming to chat with me and and talking about what's uh what's happening in ukraine and some of our impressions of it um we will be back again soon i don't know what we have on the board right now but uh keep an eye on our twitter or facebook we'll uh let you guys know where we're headed and uh, we'll hope you take care take care keep fighting
2: stay strong
0: we're on twitter at Fortressana hill also at facebook.com at fortress on a hill you can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com itunes stitcher google podcasts patreon spotify you name it almost anywhere you listen we're already waiting for you and hey we're always in the market for more patreon supporters please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com you're not into it, giving it us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism on, is one's best armor. You good Never forget it. We'll see you next time. And listen to my song. I hope you'll pay attention. I will not